Now, believe it or not, this chapter, chapter 10, is an introduction to chapters 11 and 12. And in, in a way, the most interesting part of it is the end of chapter 11 and chapter 12, which is just fascinating. Uh, you could actually read chapters 10, 11, and 12 uh, as one chapter, and they probably should have done that, but it, was, it would have been incredibly long. And uh, I, I may not even make it through this time. What, what you see in this chapter, though, which is separate in a way from the vision, the visions that Daniel had, and, and this particular visit by Gabriel and the Lord Jesus, uh, this particular visit uh, was to clarify stuff that, that Daniel had already been told. Uh, so Daniel, it, it seems, is confused about what's going on, and once again, he sets his face into prayer. But before we go into that, I have a little review, and I wanted you to see, this thing starts with, he was by the river Hittichel, and that's not on normal maps, but Hittichel is the Assyrian name for the Tigris River. And the Tigris and Euphrates, of course, they were named for rivers that are at the Garden of Eden. Many people believe these weren't the original rivers from the Garden of Eden, that the topography is so completely changed. But in the New World after the Flood, they picked Tigris and Euphrates and named those rivers around Babylon for that purpose. So Daniel is either retired at the age of 85, or he's still working for the king because there's no retirement program for slaves. So we really don't know. He said he continued until the first year of Cyrus, and this is the third year of Cyrus. So there's a thought that, uh, well, maybe he's retired. But there's also the possibility that he said he continued into the first year of Cyrus, which meant he went ahead and he worked for Cyrus. We don't know. Now, if I can do this quickly, and if, oh, there we go. Uh, if I can do this quickly, from Isaiah 14, we're talking about the spiritual realm and Satan himself. And how does that read to you? Okay, good. Okay, uh, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? What we know about Satan is his original sin was pride. How art thou cut down to the ground? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend upon the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High God. Five I will statements that indicate the sin of pride that God hates the most. And we understand that that's the reason that, that Satan fell. See if I can get this thing to change. When you go to Ezekiel, you have Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. It's fairly easy to remember. Ezekiel 28, we learned that Satan was created to be over the other angels. Now, you need to go back and read these chapters. I just wanted to put up a little bit. Thou art the anointed cherub. Now, we think of cherubs as fat little baby boys with wings. They're not. They're gigantic, major, mega general angels. They're serious angels. And uh, the cherubs are the, the, the highest of the high as we understand the order of angels. And we don't understand the order of angels. But thou art the anointed cherub, the chosen one, made by God, that covereth, means he was in charge. And I have set thee so, God speaking to Satan. Thou was upon the holy mountain of God, thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. You were perfect in your way from the day that you were created until iniquity was found in you. Now from Job, uh, the book of Job, we learned that Satan, now that he's fallen, roams around and looks for ways to condemn us. He's pretty good at that too, and his minions are pretty good at it too. I don't know about you, but 
I certainly have spent a lot of time listening to voices in the back of my head saying how worthless I am and how I'm not fit to be a son of God. Uh, anyway, this is Job chapter 1. Uh, Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job feel God, fear God for nothing? Hast thou not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he has on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in his land. This is really the subject of the entire book of Job is do Christians follow God because we want something from God because we're going to get rich or we're going to get famous or we're going to get healed. Does Job serve God for no reason at all? Oh, look at Job. You've made him wealthy. You've done this. You've done that. And of course, the whole book of Job, we don't want to get into. But the point is that Satan spends his time accusing. And one of the names of Satan in the Bible is the accuser of the brethren. In 2 Corinthians, we know that God tells us that we walk in the flesh, but we do not war after the flesh. You know, we sometimes get so focused on the people that are in front of us, we think they're the problem. And the, the thing that Paul is pointing out in this is our battle is not with people. It's not them. It's those that are behind them. It's the people behind the people, you know. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God through the pulling down of strongholds. Strongholds of Satan in our lives and the lives of other weaknesses that Satan has capitalized on and used to defeat us. Pulling down those strongholds and getting victory over those sins. Casting down imaginations. It's in our head, you see that? And every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 10 and in Ephesians 6. This is my last review. Finally, my brethren, be strong and in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. We know that our weapons, if our battle is spiritual, if our war is spiritual, our weapons have to be spiritual as well. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now there are those that think each of those designations are categories of officers in the army of Satan. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand firm. So we know this about Satan already, right? We know we're in a spiritual warfare. We know that uh, pride caused the fall. We know that uh, Satan, Satan, uh, what am I trying to say here? Well, Satan was created as a leader over all the angels. We know that when he fell, he took a number of angels with him. We don't know how many. Because they have these three archangels, Satan being one, people often think, well, he took a third of the angels. We don't know that. We don't know how many remain true to God. I read a commentator yesterday that was saying, hey, you know, when you look at the world, it's less than 10% of the world that is saved. And if that's true with the angels, that's a whole different picture of heaven than we think about. If only 10% of the angels remained with God. We don't know. We know Jesus said he could call for 10,000 angels, but we don't know how many there are. Anyhow, that's sort of the background to what we're looking at today. What is this spiritual war like? And this is where we kind of get into this message, which is a little long and laborious. Uh, but I, I, I think you're going to find it worth your while. I hope you do. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel. What was that thing? Okay. One of the things that was revealed was this warfare. Another thing that was revealed is the Lord Jesus Christ. He gets to see him. Another thing that's revealed is that the time appointed was long. Do you see it there? 
a thing was report, uh, revealed unto Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. And the thing was true, but the time appointed was long, and he understood the thing and had understanding of the vision. Well, that's different than the way he ended most of his visions. Usually he said, I had no idea what was going on. I was sick to my stomach and I went to bed for a week. You know, now this is Daniel's fourth vision. He's perhaps 85 years old. This is also Daniel's last recorded vision. It's going to gather together all the threads of the previous visions. It's 72 years after he was taken captive. We don't know how old he was, but we think he was a middle to younger teenager. So he's somewhere in the vicinity of 80, 85 to 87 years old. This is two years after the Jews returned. So now uh, Cyrus, in the first year of his reign, sent the Jews home. Of all the Jews who were in Babylon, less than 50,000 returned. They returned and now two years have passed. Everything's not going as well as Daniel had hoped. And this may be one of the reasons that he's praying now. Now, the, Daniel says he understood the truth of this vision, but the time appointed was long in the King James Version. If you have the, the uh, NIV or the American Standard Version, you'll find that it says uh, the, the time involves great suffering. The word sabagadol means great warfare or a great task. So what he saw was the history of Israel from 539 B.C., until the second coming of Christ. And what he saw was a constant troubled warfare amongst his people, the Jews. All right. These words indicate a long and strenuous period of time of conflict and trouble, and that certainly describes the history of Israel. Uh, so let me get up to... In those days, uh, I, Daniel, was mourning, fasting. He was going without uh, regular food. Three full weeks, I ate no pleasant bread. No sweet breads came into the, Some people say he was probably eating unleavened bread. Uh, no, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth. No meat. Uh, this is the opposite of the Atkins diet, apparently. Uh, this is a fully carbohydrate diet. Uh, bread, uh, unleavened bread and water. Neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. So he's fasting and praying, probably because he's concerned about the things that are happening in Israel. Uh, there, there were some things that Daniel may not have understood, although the captivity, the 70 year captivity ended and the, 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 uh, the uh, Jews were allowed to return home, although maybe 10% returned, the rest stayed in Babylon. Uh, the few that did return, the 50,000, 49,900 and something that did return, uh, although they're back in the land, the city's still in desolation. And what Daniel may not have understood is it'll be a full 20 years before Jerusalem is rebuilt because there are two captivities. There was a captivity of the, the people and there was the desolations of Jerusalem. Both of those times are 70 years. The captivity was 20 years before, before Jerusalem was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. So there's a 20-year lap and that, that, that gap that feeling that it's not moving like it should, that God is not doing what he promised, that the, act, that the captivity should be over, Israel should be back on its feet. You know, a lot of times we think God's not moving fast enough. God doesn't have it right. God doesn't understand the timetable. And yet, God knows exactly what he's doing. Uh, and and that, this may be what caused Daniel to start fasting and praying. We don't know. He doesn't tell us. It's amazing to think how often it looks like God is late. 
or that God is not moving on our behalf, or that He's not going to meet our needs, or, or God's not going to solve this problem. But God always does. He always does it in a spectacular way, and He always does it later than you think He will. It's all, I'm a Catherine, uh, no, Catherine Marshall used to say the one thing she's noticed about God through the years is that He's awfully slow. You know, uh, it, it, God moves very slowly, you know. Uh, where am I here? And in the four and twentieth day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, which is Hittichel, we call that the Tigris, then I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with the fine gold of Euphaz. His body was like a barrel, and his face as the appearance of lightning, his eyes as lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet like the color of polished brass, and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. Daniel seems to be traveling on the king's business because he's with other people, you know. And he sees this certain man. This person was in the visage of a man. Uh, and I don't know, if you were with us for the Revelation study, you're thinking, man, this sounds an awful lot like Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. And if you've read Ezekiel chapter 1, you're going to say, man, this is an awful lot like God the Father in Ezekiel chapter 1. And if you read Daniel chapter 7, you're going to say, man, this is an awful like the Son of Man. And I think in my mind that this is a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ, which we call a theophany, a vision of God. All right. His entire body is like a gigantic transparent jewel reflecting the glory of God. Now, no one really knows if this is Jesus or not, but it seems to me if I can set this picture in view, in fact, if you remember Revelation, there's a vision of Jesus standing in the river. Uh, or actually standing in the river and on the land. Uh, I think this is the vision that Daniel saw. I think he's looking up and he saw the Lord Jesus Christ and it overwhelmed him just like it overwhelmed Isaiah. But I also think you're going to hear, behold, a man touch me, that there's an angel standing behind him that Daniel does not see yet. So I think there's two personages in this vision. Not everybody agrees with me on this. People say, well, although it looks like Jesus, why would Jesus need Michael's help with Satan? Well, Jesus didn't need Michael's help with Satan. Gabriel did. Gabriel is behind Daniel in my mind, and Jesus is in front of Daniel. So I think people get that confused. I think there's two people involved here, not one. Uh, people argue this could be Gabriel in his glorified form, and that could very well be true. This whole vision could be of Gabriel. I just, choosing at this point, I don't think so. Let's see if I get to number 10. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision for the men that were with me. See, he's, he, I don't know why he's with these guys. I, I mean, he's 85 years old. He's 87 years old. Daniel, draw your social security and take a break, will you? These men that were with me saw not the vision. Who's that remind you of? Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle is walking down the Damascus Road and sees the Lord Jesus Christ. The men around him are quaking with fear, but Paul sees the Lord Jesus Christ. Daniel is quaking with fear. The people are so frightened, they run away, see? A uh, great quaking fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. The, this is 600 years before Paul the Apostle. Therefore I was left alone and saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me. One look in him, and I collapsed in weakness. For my comeliness, and that means my beauty or my strength or those things that make me valuable, my comeliness was turned me into corruption, and I retained no strength. Daniel is one of three men in the Bible of whom nothing negative is said. Did you know that? He takes one look at the Lord Jesus Christ and he realizes what a horrible sinner he is. 
Isaiah was a famous, famous prophet of God. One look at the Lord Jesus Christ and he's on his face on the floor. You know, we think we're so special. We think we're so powerful and we're so good and we've done all these good things until we see God. And when we see God, we realize what horrible, dirty sinners we really are and how badly we need a Savior. Mankind foolishly thinks that we're going to make heaven on our own power. My uncle foolishly said, oh, Bobby, I don't need Jesus. I've lived a good life. Yeah, I, I don't think it works that way, Uncle Paul. The scripture says this, therefore, by the deeds of the law, by keeping the law, by doing good works, therefore, by the deeds of the law, shall no flesh be justified. That means declared not guilty. There's no work that we can do to save ourselves. There shall no flesh be justified. The word means declared not guilty in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. All the Ten Commandments do is teach us what's wrong. It doesn't give us the power or the strength to do what's right. This is a spiritual battle, and we need the Holy Spirit to empower us to do that which God calls us to do. We cannot do it on our own. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Don't forget that. Abide in me, and I in you, for apart from me, separated from me, on your own, you can do nothing, Jesus said. We have to be cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to be clothed in His righteousness. And we have to be filled with the Spirit in order to accomplish what God has for us in this life. Back to Daniel. <clears throat> Yet I heard the voice of His words. And when I heard the voice of His words, I was in a deep sleep on my face. And I felled my face towards the ground. I saw Him and I collapsed and I pushed my face in the dirt. And I fell into a coma. And behold, that denotes surprise. Always when you see behold, a hand touched me. He's looking over here and a hand touches him. That's why I have two people in this thing. Well, Jesus and Gabriel. I don't know if you call them people. I guess they're people. And behold, a hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my face. That's exactly what happens to all of us. We're asleep in sin. The hand of God has to touch us and wake us up and set us up on our hands and knees where we can cry out for salvation. You see a beautiful, a beautiful picture here of salvation. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto you and stand upright, for unto thee I am now sent. And when he had spoken these words, I stood trembling. Now, I don't know who's speaking those words. Whether that's Gabriel, that's Gabriel's normal introduction to Daniel, old man greatly beloved, or whether that's the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're saved today, this can be said of all of us. There's not one of us without Jesus Christ who can stand in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. This angel had to strengthen him and set him. He shook us. He woke us up from the deep sleep of sin, and he set us up to where we could now stand in the presence of Christ. You know, a thousand years from today... It's not going to matter how much money we made or how nice a boat I built or, or how much fun I had or what, what a great job I had and how much people admired me. A thousand years from today, all that will matter is as I have I bowed my heart to the Lord Jesus Christ and am I going to be with Him in heaven? Am I in an eternity future with the Lord Jesus Christ or am I forever cut off and separated from God? Then He said unto me, Fear not, Daniel, from the, I think this is Gabriel talking, by the way. He said unto me, Fear not, Daniel, from the first day that thou didst set thy heart to understand, 
to understand what was going on, I'm thinking, and to chasten thyself, that's fast, before God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. As soon as you started praying, your message got to God. As soon as you start to pray, God hears your words, and God sent me that very day. He's been fasting and praying for 21 days now. How many of us have done that? But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in 20 days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. This is an amazing verse. It really is. I was sent the first day you started to pray, but I was held up. 21 days I was hindered by the prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now, the way I understand this is there's a king of Persia that's a human. And the prince of Persia is the fallen angel that serves under the satanic king, Satan. And he's a prince. He's a, he's a strong fallen angel of Satan. And he has a geographical territory that he has to protect. And I believe every geographical, geographical area is assigned a specific fallen angel to, to control what's going on in Satan's domain because this is a fallen world and Satan is the God of this world and he's controlling it. You remember when Jesus went to Gadara and he was going to cast out those demons? I'm not telling you right. It's where the ones went into the swine. That wasn't Gadara, but I think it was in Capernaum. And the, the, the demons asked if, if they could go into the fish and they asked him, you're not going to send us out of the area, are you? I think these demons are assigned specific areas and they're not allowed to leave. They have a choice. If they stay in their area, fine. If not, back into the pit. And I, I think that's the way it works. So I think what Gabriel ran into here was a very strong satanic being whose job it was to control what's going on in Persia. And, and part of his work in that battle was to keep the Persian king, now I'm making this up, this isn't biblical, but part of his battle was to keep the Persian king from doing things that would be against the people of God. So he was standing there and guarding that the king of Persia wouldn't do anything wrong. And he said, he says here, you notice, it was the prince of the kingdom of Persia that withstood him, but he remained there with the kings of Persia. He remained there with the kings to be sure God's will was being accomplished. I can just imagine the battle that goes on in Washington, D.C. as these satanic and heavenly beings argue over what's being done in our nation's capital today. And I see that on a worldwide scale. But I remained with the kings of Persia, the human king in my mind, and I got stuck there and Michael, the archangel, had to come and help me out. Uh, we don't have many names of angels. We just really have Lucifer, and we have Michael, and we have Gabriel, and we think, we think they're the archangels. We don't even know that. Uh, but I stayed there to help out. Well, finally I got away in verse 14, and I'm come to make you understand what shall befall your people, that's Israel, in the latter days. That's our days. So I'm, I'm, my job here is now to tell you what's going to happen in the latter days. And that's what the subject of next week's message is about. See, And when he had spoken such words unto me, I set my face towards the ground and I became dumb. I fell on the face in the dirt and I was speechless. you got to love this guy. And behold, one like the similitude of the sons of men. Now, wait a minute. That's not Gabriel. And one of behold, like the similitude of the sons of men touched my lips. You remember he did that to a guy that couldn't speak? 
when he was on the earth, the Lord Jesus touched the guy's lips so he could speak. Then I opened my mouth and I spoke and I said to him that stood before me, Oh, my Lord, by the vision of my sorrows are turned upon me. By the vision, looking at you, all I can think about is how corrupt I am. My sorrows are turned upon me and I have retained no strength. I'm about to die here, Lord. For how can the servant of this, my Lord, talk with this, my Lord? For as for me, straightway there remains no strength in me, neither is there breath left in me. Lord, I can see you, but I can't breathe. Ah, I, and he touched my lips and I could speak. Four times Daniel was strengthened for this vision. Don't normally have to have this for an angel. This, I believe, is a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. There came again and touched me one like the appearance of a man. I believe that's Gabriel. And he strengthened me. I think that's the fourth time and last time. And he said, this is Gabriel to Daniel, O man greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be unto thee, be strong, yea, be strong. And when he had spoken to me, I was strengthened. And he said, let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. See, we're, we're actually moving into the message. I'm actually moving out of this message, but we're moving into the real message, which Lord willing will be next week. For thou hast strengthened me. Then said he, knowest thou wherefore I've come unto thee. In other words, I've already told you why I'm coming. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen in the last days. And now I'll return to fight with the prince of Persia. I'm going to go back to fight with that fallen angel, the way I understand it. And when I'm gone forth, once I get there, lo, the prince of Greece or Greca shall come. So apparently, the fallen angel that's assigned to Greece, which is going to be the next world anti-God, anti-Jewish empire, that's going to conquer the Persian Empire, is already laying the groundwork when Gabriel gets back. Either that or their time dimension and our time dimension isn't the same, and that could be true. You know, he might have only fought with that angel for four minutes and it took 21 days. We don't know that. But I'm assuming time is time for God or for us. And if that's so, they're actually laying the groundwork for uh, Alexander the Great's arrival 200 years before he shows up. Because we're still 200 years behind the rise of the Greek Empire. But I will show thee that which is the, noted in the scriptures of truth. So what God's going to do is going to be written down for us. And God's not going to do anything that he hasn't written down. And there is none that holdeth me in these things, but Michael, your prince. So Michael is the Jewish protector and warrior. Gabriel seems to be God's public speaker, his enunciator. It's the CNN news, you know, he's the news anchor. Gabriel is the one that speaks. Gabriel is the one that came to Mary. Well, what are we to learn from this chapter? The first thing is behind the scenes of our lives is a whole spiritual world that we can't see. And I never get these two guys right, Elijah or Elijah, but I'm going to say Elijah and I'm going to be wrong. Sends his water boy out for a bucket of water and the armies of Syria are there to capture him. And he drops his bucket and he runs inside and Elijah says to him, 
John, you'll be straight on this. Is this Elisha or Elijah, the story that I'm telling? It is show. Okay, it's the second. All right, Elisha. I never get the two right. I know Elijah was first and Elijah was second, but on this story, I should make a note of that. But then I'd lose the paper I wrote it on. So Elisha says to him, he prays, he says, Lord, show this guy what I see, because all this water boy can see is all around him. Or is it the Syrian army? Do I have that part of it right? It is Syria. So the whole Syrian army is in front of him because the Syrian army, and particularly their leader, has realized every time they go to attack Israel, God has already warned them ahead of time through Elisha. So they're thinking, we're going to take out this squealer and we're going to stop the leaks. You know, we definitely have a leak here in, in the general's tent. And uh, they came there to capture Elisha. And Elisha, water boy, sees the army and drops his water bucket. And Elisha prays for him that he could see what's going on. And behind the army of the Syrians was thousands upon thousands of warrior angels protecting Elisha. And Elisha had no reason to fear. And he wanted this guy to know he has no reason to fear. God opened his eyes that he could see the spiritual realm. Now, he hasn't done that for us, but he's given us a glimpse here. We have to understand that everything that's going on in our world today is, a, is the, the physical result outpouring of a spiritual war that's been going on for centuries. God has this thing in control. He knows what he's doing. And every step and every counter step is being matched and manifest in the spiritual world. Sometimes we assume that a person is just hateful or they're acting out for a reason. And yet, if we could pull the veil behind them and see what the spiritual forces are behind their souls, we'll realize that they are just as much victims as we are. And they're not in control of what they're saying or doing because there's forces behind them. It's possible that what we see happening in our world, what we call reality, is merely a reflection of the current warfare going on in the spirit world. That perhaps the best summary would be to say there are forces at work in our world that we can't see and we don't really understand. But I have confidence that God is in control. One of my greatest assurances is how that God has prophesied all these things from the beginning. So it's kind of like reading a, a novel. And I must confess, I'm one of those guys that sometimes will read the last chapter first. Well, actually, I'll read the first couple chapters. And if it's really good and I'm getting upset with what's going on, I'll sneak through the back and see how it ends. Because I don't want to sweat all the way through this novel only to find out it has a bad ending. So I want to know it has a good ending. You know. Well, we know we have a good ending. We know who wins. And we can trust him to see us through. Father, thank you for this time together, for this opportunity to just stand here and share your scriptures of truth, as Gabriel called it, with your people. Protect us, we pray, from the evil one. Keep us safe as we travel. Please continue to let this terrible virus disappear from our world. Give us victory, we pray, spiritual victory over the sins in our own lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.